May the peace of Christ be with you. This is Molly Vetter, Senior Pastor of the Westwood United Methodist Church in Los Angeles. Welcome to our Sanctuary Gathering podcast. Here we share the sermon preached on Sunday as a part of our Sanctuary Gathering. We hope that in these words you will be drawn closer to God and made more ready to love your neighbor. As a congregation, we embrace the words of the Hebrew prophet that are etched into the stairs that lead to our building, the calling to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. We also believe that we're a richer congregation for the diversity of people who participate in our community, and we celebrate the diversity of age, race, gender identity, and sexual orientation that participate in our church. You are welcome in this place, and we hope you will participate. We invite you to do your own theology, to wrestle with questions of faith as we seek out what it means to be faithful Christians today. You're welcome to join us not only by listening in to this podcast, but we also invite you to join in our congregational life. Every Sunday, you're welcome to join us for worship at 9.30 a.m. You can join us in our beautiful sanctuary in Los Angeles at the corner of Warner and Wilshire or online via our church Facebook page. All are welcome in our midst, and we thank you for being a part of our church. May these moments be a blessing to you today. Good morning. I'm going to be reading from Jeremiah chapter 31, 7 through 14. For thus says the Lord, sing aloud with gladness for Jacob, and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise, and say, Save, O Lord, your people, the remnant of Israel. See, I'm going to bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth, among them the blind and the lame, those with child and those in labor, together. A great company, they shall return here. With weeping they shall come, and with consolations I will lead them back. I will let them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I have become a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away, and say, He who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd of flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from the hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord. Over the grain, the wine, and the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall become like a watered garden, and they shall never languish again. Then shall come the young women, rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will give the priests their fill of fatness, 
and my people shall be satisfied with my bounty, says the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Our gospel reading today is from the beginning of the Gospel of John, and before I read these words of a sort of universal transcendent poetry, I want to say a note about the song that we've been singing around our scripture passages today, which may be familiar to you. It's also known as the Huron Carol, and it was written by a French-Canadian Jesuit who translates the nativity story into a context that would make sense with the of, in the community of the Huron Wyandot people, among whom he was in ministry, it recontextualizes the story, as you noticed, with fox and beaver pelt instead of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and a new name for God, Gitche Manitou, borrowed from the Huron language. It helps convey the magnitude, the power, and the gift of the story of Christ's incarnation in the specifics of the context of ministry that it was written for, set next to this gospel text, which speaks in cosmic terms borrowing from the beginning of the book of Genesis and its account of creation, we hear John's attempt to convey the magnitude of the gift of incarnation. I invite you to listen for the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, he was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light, so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, he who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him, to him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? O Holy Spirit, may my words and our thoughts and our lives reflect the fullness and beauty of your grace. We pray in your holy name. Amen. I'm so glad to be here with you on this first Sunday of the new year, and also grateful to have had a Sunday off last week. Grateful to Dr. Carter for preaching and to all those who were a part of our worship that day. 
I had the chance to go out to the desert to explore a new corner of the world I had not visited previously. My uh, husband and I and our child and my husband's two siblings and spouses and children all went on an off-road camping adventure in the Kofa Wilderness, which is in the north and western corner of Arizona. It's a very rugged part of the desert. The mountains are particularly craggy. They were once the edge of an ancient volcano, uh, the huge caldera of which has now eroded into a desert plain, but those craggy peaks remain tall. We started ambitiously charting a course that would allow our fancy new four-wheel drive vehicles to take us far off of pavement. And on day one, our little group of three vehicles got two flat tires, which was dispiriting to the whole group. So on day two, we got a late start because there was tire patching before there was heading off on the road, which meant that we were a little behind the anticipated schedule all day. And the spot where we hoped to camp for the next two nights was far enough off that if we went for it, we might have to built camp in the dark. We had lights and agreed that it would be nice to not have to break camp every day. We wanted to get there so we could spend two nights as planned. And so we pushed through. This decision meant that we were on a particular ridge at just that magical moment of sunset. It was more spectacular than I knew to plan in the itinerary. One of those moments where you find yourself in just the right place to receive a kind of beauty that is overwhelming. We were on this high ridge looking out over a flat plain and those craggy peaks of the Kofa Mountains in the distance. There were uh, low clouds with a flat bottom that reflected all of the light and added another dimension of color into the spectacular palette of sunset colors that shifted over the course of that half hour from blue and yellow and orange and pink and a majestic purple. It was wild. Along the ridge were planted, not really like, maybe planted is the wrong word, were growing. I don't want to imply that there was any human wisdom in this good choice. There were growing a number of choya cactuses, which if you can picture them in your mind, are the cactuses also known as teddy bear cactuses. They have a lot of spines that come out of all of the edges, relatively narrow arms. They're short, but they have narrow arms that reach and are covered in just a multitude of spines. And the multitude of those spines caught the sunlight of the fading sunset and it made them glow as with a halo of light. It was wondrous and beautiful and incredible. I was fixed on looking at the setting sun long enough that I um, was startled when I turned around to talk to someone and realized that there was beauty in the other direction. Also, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, you focus on one thing and don't notice what that setting sun was doing to the mountains on the other side. It was 
uh, experience of being surrounded by beauty and wonder and light. I thought, what a beautiful beginning of a week in which we're thinking about light. Epiphany, after all, has something to do with light and insight. The Epiphany story is told in the Gospel of Matthew, is about Magi who noticed a star at its rising and allowed it to chart their course to a distant land to honor the birth of a king. In Matthew's Gospel, the Magi help us understand that from the beginning, Jesus' birth makes a difference not just for the religious community he belonged to, but for an ever-expanding community that includes others, foreigners, strangers, perhaps even enemies. John's Gospel, of course, which we read today, has no such particular details. In John's Gospel, the Christmas story exists in this poetry, reminiscent of the first chapter of the book of Genesis. It tells the story of Christ's birth as another part of the beginning of everything. It borrows first lines from the book of Genesis in the beginning. It tells in this kind of distant, looking from 30,000 feet poetry, the story of the Word of God, the embodied incarnation of the divine coming here to earth. In John's Gospel, we get poetry about light and darkness, an invitation to be a little like the Magi, guided by light that draws us in a particular direction. But when we talk about light and darkness in the church, we have to acknowledge that the church has often, as has our broader culture, done a disservice in associating light with goodness and darkness with evil. Though I love Star Wars, they certainly helped solidify in the minds of my generation the tidiness of this equation. Our comfort at assuming that light is good and darkness is bad is of course multiplied and deepened and contributed to the power of racism to imply, to embed in our imaginations associations of lightness with good and darkness with bad, which when applied to the skin of humans is a dangerous, deadly, and devastating proposition. Darkness is, after all, a significant part of the fabric of our universe. I turned this week back to the work of Barbara Holmes, Race in the Cosmos, in which she borrows insights from our contemporary understandings of the cosmos to our theology. She reminds us, borrowing from insights from NASA, that the universe is to a vast extent made up of darkness. Dark matter and dark energy making up something like 95% of what we know exists, leaving just 
that is observable. Not even 5% that's light, 5% that's observable. There is so much darkness that makes up the fabric of everything that is. It is the matrix out of which we live, the foundation, the beginning point of everything. Not as a destructive force, but as what is. And in the interplay of light and darkness, we find space for life, for making sense of what is in the midst of a world that the more we come to know, the more we understand how much is incomprehensible. It blows my mind to think that 95% of what is in the world is dark matter and dark energy uh, is virtually unexplorable. Perhaps scientists in the future will help us find new ways. Certainly the work of powerful telescopes is helping us see more deeply into the past, into the extent of our cosmos, into the vast mystery. Camping out in the desert provides ample opportunity for pondering the mysteries of the universe. Because out away from the city, you can see the Milky Way and contemplate how our planet is in orbit around our sun as but one star in the spiral arm of this galaxy, the Milky Way. Other stars of which become visible if you get far enough out of the city is that band of hazy light that comes from the proximity of a multitude of stars. But you look at the other stars out in the darkness of the night, knowing that they're not stars, but pinpricks of light that show to us, that reveal to us entire galaxies too far for us to explore. Our understanding of light, our appreciation of life, comes in the context of a rich and foundational darkness. I say this confessing that I have always loved the in-between times as well. While I like the brightness of midday and appreciate how clearly you can see, it's those exquisite colors in the sky at sunset that really get me excited. The transitional moments just before the sun goes down and just after, when the sky is unusual shades of color that inspire our hearts, that set our imagination afire that make me want to create, to sing, to ponder, to care. We are a people of both darkness and light, dependent on both for the navigation of these days. And the will of God is that we live in a kind of relationship with both, that acknowledges our belonging together and that leads to a flourishing of life. I love the poetry of Jeremiah, whose words Joe read for us today, who imagines God's promise, writing likely to a people in exile. He casts a vision of promise that is like a watered garden 
that is a flourishing of life in which we are made radiant. I love that at the end of the text that Joe read for today, as Jeremiah describes prosperity and flourishing of life, there's a reminder that this is God's life, God's flourishing, God's prosperity that we're enjoying. It's easier for me to apprehend that when I think about those Troya cactus and the spines that catch the fading sunset light that sets them aglow as with a halo. I would never believe that that glow belonged to the cactus itself. It's a reflection of a power that is beyond, a gift of grace that comes from the sun, reflected, filtered through the particular form of those beautiful and dangerous if you get too close, Troya cactus. In the same way, the life that we enjoy when we enjoy it is not ours, certainly not in a limited way, not in a way that we can possess and hold away from them, whoever they are. The gifts of flourishing of life that we enjoy are always ours expansively. I love that the children are studying the Lord's Prayer right now. This is such an important prayer in our Christian tradition, though our theologies and sacramental practices and beliefs about ordination vary dramatically amongst Christian traditions in the world. Virtually all Christian communities, I know we're going to find an exception, sometimes keep silent Quakers, don't say this prayer regularly, but a vast majority of Christians in a wide diversity of traditions use this prayer as a regular part of worship. And it begins our, our Father. It begins with an acknowledgement that the gifts of belonging, the gifts of community, the gifts of grace, the gift of our identity is not mine and can't belong just to us in a limited way but is always an expansive hour, an invitation that helps us see neighbors and strangers and enemies differently, knowing that they also capture and reflect the beauty of sunlight. We took some pictures of that magic sunset hour. Everyone looks really good in that magic light, even after a night or two of camping. Without access to running water, you can look great in the beauty of that setting sun. Which is, I think, the gift, the way that the gift of God's grace works in us and our neighbors and strangers and enemies as well. It allows us to shine radiantly as those who bear the divine image, who possess a beauty that no number of unshowered nights can remove, that no experience or devastation 
can take away a reminder that we are always the recipients of a grace that makes us beautiful. And so are our neighbors and strangers and enemies. As we read that text from Jeremiah today, I was so aware of how painful it is to be in this moment of ongoing devastating violence in what we often call the Holy Land. How dangerous our religious traditions can be when we assert that we uniquely have the right to a piece of land, to an identity, to a place. This flourishing of life that Jeremiah envisions, I believe is a flourishing of life that's only accessible when it's shared. Something like the difference between stopping the violence and the presence of true peace. Shalom is a Hebrew word helps us imagine, which is a presence of well-being and justice, a kind of security that comes only through mutuality, not weapons or walls. The invitation of the gospel is to be a people who continue to believe in, to work for, to hope for, to build a world of that kind of peace where light guides us forward, where we refuse to diminish the humanity of any other, where we discipline ourselves to supply in our mind the beauty of that sun-setting light when it's not visible in a physical way in this world. May we be people who are able to believe and know the radiance of our own lives, and ready to see and honor and work for the dignity of everyone else as well, even for all of creation, recognizing that we are inhabitants together on this wondrous planet that is orbiting our sun in the arm of this galaxy in a vast blackness we cannot reach the edges of, a precious, beautiful, wondrous gift of light. A God who is the word, capital W, who was before anything is that is, and who also comes here among us in bodies like our own. May that radiance be perceptible in us, in our neighbors, now and every day.